Welcome to On the Table, a podcast about board games, card games, and tabletop war games. Hey, welcome back to On the Table, episode 18. And before we jump into our podcast, um, I do have an unfortunate update to make. Our regularly scheduled podcast with uh, at that Terry girl, a, a huge YouTube star and a great supporter of the Song of Ice and Fire community. Um, we have had some technical difficulties with the recording of her episode, and uh, we will not be delivering that today. Uh, we are actively working to recover it, but um, things aren't looking great right now. So uh, Terry is a, a huge supporter of the community and uh, such a positive force. And uh, I just want to take a second to, to really thank her for, for coming on the podcast with us to talk to us and just to show support of two guys who are really kind of new to this podcasting situation. And uh, we've been thrilled with the support we've had from the community. But to have someone who's already really well-established reached out to us in such a generous way to try and support us, um, we really, really appreciate it. So please check out at that Terry girl on online and on Twitter, and also check out her YouTube painting tutorials and some gameplay of A Song of Ice and Fire, the miniatures game. She's a huge friend to the community, and uh, we really, really appreciate everything that she's done, and we hope to get everything sorted out and get you some of that content with her that we had uh, in the future. So that being said, we do have some news down in the rookery. Uh, we have partnered with rebellightworks.com to help bring you custom A Song of Ice and Fire tactics boards and rulers, uh, and they have the On the Table Gaming logo. They also have non-branded ones. But if you purchase the On the Table Gaming logo branded items, those proceeds go to help fund the On the Table Gaming podcast. Um, we were trying to think of ways to help cover our podcasting fees, and uh, we thought maybe the best way to do it would be a partnership like this so that you can get some cool stuff for the game some some additional uh, you know tokens or wooden tactics boards that look really cool and uh, know that you know part of that part of you having fun is helping us put out additional content and secure guests in the future. Uh, be sure to use the code on the table 2019 to get a discount of 10% on any purchase. And then without further ado, we're actually joined by Michael Chanal, the senior developer at Simon Games and game designer for a Song of Ice and Fire the Miniatures game. So Michael, thanks so much for coming on. Oh, thank you very much for having me, Chase from On the Table Gaming. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're gonna we have a few questions about just general stuff, and then uh, we'll get into some uh, user submitted questions and talk about everybody's you know favorite game. So before we we get into actually talking about a Song of Ice and Fire: The Miniatures Game, so what what's your gaming background, and and how did you find your way to being at Simon Games and and working on a Song of Ice and Fire: The Miniatures Game? You can find out more information about that in my self-titled autobiography, which will be out later this year, <laughs> once it's actually written and gets interesting stories behind it. With a it. foreword by uh, George R. R. Martin, I should hope. Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. So, by the way... Maybe 800 pages. <laughs> there's the reason why those books have been delayed, is that Direct fan mail to you, then? <laughs> oh, geez. That's got to be it. <laughs> it's a priority thing, okay? It just We really felt this was a passion project, and it was really important oh. to get this down. <laughs> so, my background, as far as gaming goes, is ever since a young age, I have been... Uh, well, I started on board games when I was like, you know, less than 10 years old or so. And then I remember seeing a commercial on the TV for this thing called Magic the Gathering and <laughs> uh, ended up starting <laughs> to play that after finding that you can't just buy that at like Toys R Us and Targets and whatnot. I actually found a local game store, started playing Magic. That eventually evolved into playing other card games and then moving into miniature games. 
starting with I, well, I dabbled a bit into Warhammer uh, 40k, but that was expensive for you know a ten yeah. year old or so. Uh, <laughs> and then so I played a bunch of other game systems, uh, Mage Knight, Chainmail. Uh, oh, just the the list goes on. And then since that time, I've basically played most every major card game, a lot of miniature games, including you know Warhammer 40k and then Fantasy. Eventually, those were the major things. And then I did a time with upper deck for about three or four years doing um their uh judging in their southeastern tournaments for Yu-Gi-Oh versus system world of warcraft that was the first kind of semi like major foray into the professional side of things and you know that i did that for a number of years that was a side project to just because that was all volunteer based and as far as getting involved with Kuhlman or not uh, i actually got involved when my local store started carrying the miniature skirmish game dark age and the owner of the company, David Doust, uh, actually started hosting tournaments around the area. So I actually met him at one of these local tournaments. And it was funny because the reason we kind of got to know each other is I liked the system a lot, but there were a lot of rules, ambiguities, and issues. And so before this tournament, I just went up to him and I was like, hey, I've got a couple rules questions here that I need to know before this tournament begins. And I started bombarding him with questions. <laughs> and... You unfurled your scroll of, uh, of questions. <laughs> Sort of. And so he actually got on the phone at the time with the the lead designer that he had to answer my questions because he was like, I don't I don't know the answer to these. <laughs> and it kind of evolved from there where I was writing like tactics articles for them and um, doing some play testing and then just kind of scaled up from there. And this is before this was just before Zombie Side became the thing that it was. Mm -hmm. And so then when Zombie Side became a thing and the company started expanding, I was pulled in. And that was, you know, it's funny. I I, I kind of had this conversation with myself every so often. That was 2000 and a late 2011, early 2012. And I keep going like, that was seven years ago. <laughs> <laughs> the, the millennium just happened five years ago. It wasn't that long. <laughs> oh, God. This is almost a decade. So... <laughs> was your first, that was your first like chance at developing uh, a board game or working on the board game from the ground up? Uh, that wasn't from the ground up. I was When I came into the company, I was assigned to just initial projects as you know a junior developer to help out and assist. And over time, you know, given my own projects and whatnot, and worked from there. Like the first game, uh, I actually, board game I worked on at Cool Mini or Not was a Rivet Wars doing development work for that. Yeah. And, yeah. And then um, the first miniature game was Wrath of Kings. That was our new IP that we got that we built from the ground up. Um, and then continuing with Dark Age, and then continuing more work on the board games when we did our first card game, we did Xenoshift, Rum and Bones, the miniature Rum and Bones, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, those are the ones that I've, I've designed. And then since then, also, I've got a bunch of development credits um, on a lot of our games that come through. I mean, nowadays, most every, a lot of our games that come through, I will have taken a look at some point to varying degrees. Um, but you know, I'm aware of all the projects that we have coming in. It's just the ones I work on versus not. Right now, Song of Ice and Fire has been the mainstay for the last you know couple years with other projects in between there. And some ones coming up that I can't... Oh, actually, no, I can't talk about because we announced already. The next big project I have coming out is going to be the Bloodborne board game, which we announced at a Gen Con uh, last year. Wow. Oh, nice. That's a, that's a big so, deal. It's this, this little thing called Bloodborne. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure people have heard of that before, yeah? <laughs> it's an indie title. Don't worry. It's, it's 
<laughs> so, you know, you kind of mentioned that you were working on uh, some of these games for a while here. When when did you actually start working on a Song of Ice and Fire of the Miniatures game? Like, what's the kind of time frame for a game like this? I'm trying to remember exactly how many years ago it was, because it was a number of years. I'm thinking it was at least three. It might have been more than that, because as I've said, time, you kind of lose track of it after a while. You know, again, I was like... I just started working for the company a little while ago, you know, <laughs> seven, seven years. So, but I remember, and this is this is going to be one of those little discrediting stories here. By the way, I was not <laughs> I was not a Game of Thrones or a Song of Ice and Fire fan oh. because oh. my roommate that I was living with at the time was. And it's one of those things when you're just when someone's just constantly going yep. on about something, you're just like, "Come <laughs> on, stop talking about it. I don't I don't care." Is like, he I now wanted, like? Is he like, oh my gosh, now I can't believe you're doing this? Like, is he, is he throw back at you at all? Mm, not really. And you actually, thank you for saying that because it kind of gives me a general timetable about how long ago this was. So that means it was at least four years ago, if not longer. Wow. But, so anyway, um, Dave Dowse, the owner of our company, came to me and said, uh, I've got Jim Ludwig. Uh, he's going to be coming down. Jim Ludwig is the owner of Dark Sword Miniatures. He has the rights to the Game of Thrones, uh, Song of Ice and Fire miniatures uh, line. And we're going to talk to him about making a game. And it's like, okay, sure. Sounds cool. I should probably get up to speed on that. <laughs> so Jim Ludwig flew down and we started talking about like the, uh, you know, what they wanted to see in a game and what the ideas were and everything. And when the project started moving forward, the very first thing that I do on any project that I'm assigned to, if it's an IP based one, is you know you have to know that IP in and out because mm -hmm. if you don't you're going to do a discredit to it and I never want to think anything we're doing is just like oh I did a skin of this or you know it's just <laughs> the it's thrown on there you know last second so about the first six months before I actually did any type of hardcore in game design or anything was just researching and learning everything there was to learn about a Song of Ice and Fire that's reading the book series listening to the audiobooks, reading the world settings, watching the full run of the TV show to see what the differences were and everything. For research um, purposes. <laughs> exactly. Well, it's, like, it's like, I have to watch the show, guys. Sorry. <laughs> you know, you can, I know that, you know, it, it's one of those things to talk about. Like, yes, this is, this is part of my job to do, but it's like a thing like when you're researching all this, yes, it can be fun. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you have to know that like, okay, well, the Car Star experiment are mentioned in exactly one line in A Clash oh, of Kings yep. as being on the right vanguard flank at this one specific battle, and that's their role in the story. So, and this, you know, because we're dealing with such, and especially with an IP like this, that people right. are so passionate and about. Your, for, your rivet counters, right? That like want every little detail. Yes. <laughs> and so that was one of the important things was having to know all these little specific details because we know we're going to have those fans that are going to come out there and go like, well, you know, Jamie is actually six foot four and Eddard is only six foot one as shown here. So why are they the same size? <laughs> right. And you know, you laugh, but these are the, these are the type of minutia that are, that was really important to us. And uh, in the beginning and still is, especially like Jim Ludwig is like, I consider him like the historical gatekeeper of a song in ice and fire because he got into, he's like, he's OG. Let's just say it like this. He was a fan before it was, before it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> that's why he's been making miniatures of this for you know for, for so you know, long so yeah, long sure, yeah. and he and he was just doing that as a fan before it exploded up into the worldwide thing it was like he's personal friends with george r, r. martin and you know you know all that but so the first like six months was just spent 
researching the setting and making sure I knew every little minor aspect of it, including the pain in the ass one. So especially those. And that was before a lot of hardcore game development actually started. Because, you know, we had different options about how we were going to go about, you know, what type of game are we going to make? You know, is this going to be like a skirmish-based game? Is it going to be rank and file? That answer, that, that answer kind of came a little uh, early on, though, because turns out George R. R. Martin has two criteria that he wanted to see. He wanted hundreds of miniatures on the table, mm-hmm. which wasn't really feasible. And well, two, just, I think technically, right? The starter set. How many? How many things come in that starter set? I think you got a hundred. There's hundred four miniatures. Yeah, you got oh, over a hundred. Yeah. There you go. Yes. Maybe not hundreds, but hundred. Yes, and then <laughs> uh, banners and heraldry, because that's uh, that's that's his that's his big thing. There's like banners everywhere, and that's cool. That's why that's why we try to put as much of that stuff in as we can. So that was kind of how things started. Because initially, you know, you're thinking like, oh, we'll do like you know just a skirmish game with you know just the heroes and everything. And there's like, no, no want massive big historicals looking combats and everything so as the game developed did it have like all the mechanics that we're familiar with now like did it always have tactics cards that were like actual cards um you know whether it's different iterations like an alpha stage where it looked very different from what we see now oh if i i actually found some of the initial files from some of the earliest versions of the game and i was looking at them and they're like man I forgot all this stuff existed (laughs) (laughs) in a good way or bad way. Is it like, Oh gosh, it's, it was not good. Or like, you know, it's, or we've moved so far from it and we would never go back the direction or. Well, it's, it's cyclical and all these things, you know, you just refine it and then one thing changes another. And eventually the end product looks nothing like how you started out, but Mm -hmm. you still see the initial like DNA of it and everything. Do you guys start always with the, uh, with the trays in mind? I know you were looking at like the rank and file, but were you always planning on using that system for moving around and, and storing the units? No, that actually initially the system was much more based on the, the wrath of Kings system, which was um, kind of a leader and sphere of influence and kind of a little skirmish movement. The, uh, the rank and file was moved or was changed to uh, for a number of reasons, but eventually just kind of like, let's try this. And then it moved to that system. And then we, wanted to have a big focus on the ranks because there's a bunch of rank and file games out there, but we hadn't seen one that actually just worked off of the actual number of ranks really, really mattering. You know, yes, they contributed to things, but they weren't like the focus. And we thought that was a neat, interesting direction to go in. So we explored that and we ended up really liking it and then just continued from there. I mean, there was initially a version. I remember that like, we didn't have the tactics board that it was um, each non-combat character basically had their own special card with uh, varying abilities on there that you could trigger once per round and you know that kind of worked but then we changed it around to make it a little bit more competitive the tactics board and so again we went through so many versions and just so many different changes that if i think about one change i'm like oh yeah we tried this and i can think of like three more variants that came in that we had tried out at various points so it's a kind of a snowball effect and um so you know that was the the development for the uh, a lot of the stages in the game's life early on was and also getting the tabletop feel right because that's such an important aspect of it and then in when the initial combat system and all that was solidified into place this was a number of years later so we're, we're time jumping a little bit forward the company hired eric lang to be like he, he had contracted with us for years and years but then he was hired in as our director of game design and so now he had a personal stake in everything. And one of the projects that, you know, he wanted to look at was A Song of Ice and Fire. And so he was brought in toward the tail end about 
it's like you know when we had the game about 90 percent done or so mm-hmm. and you know, we've i've never gonna talk over this too long because we've we've recorded the same story several times in most every convention <laughs> that we're at like i'm sure if you look at the initial like review uh talks from like cmon expos i think we've told this story like every single year that we're there <laughs> we need to get some new experiences <laughs> <laughs> he was brought in to bring in more of the uh the kind of the board game feel for things because he I've, worked on the he worked on the card game too right Did yes he, you... yes he did uh extensively on the 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 ccg back in the the 2000s and I don't want to say 90s. I don't remember exactly when that game came out. No, it wouldn't be 90s. It'd be the 2000s. Because my background is mainly, is primarily been card games and then miniature games. Board games, while something I have had interest in, my, I'm going to say, quote unquote, professional side has always been, you know, miniature games and card games. Uh, Because again, I originally came from doing upper deck tournaments and then playing Warhammer and then uh, Mage Knight and (laughs) those style games. Whereas I always had board games. But we're also talking about like the the early days of board games where, you know, I remember the first big box game I actually got was the Doom, the original Doom game from Fantasy Flight. I thought that was just the coolest (laughs) thing I had ever seen in my life. And before that, the biggest game I owned was actually uh, Zombies by Twilight Creations. And I remember just opening that initially. Like It was $25. I think I bought it. It was like at 100 plastic zombies. I was like, holy crap. That's 100 like, zombie <laughs> here. This game is awesome. It's still a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, so that was, you know, board games were just coming into their their own there. And, you know, it's definitely a different, a way different market than it was, you know, than it is now versus then. Well, I, and one thing I think that this game's done really well is sort of straddling that line between a miniature game, a card game, and a board game. Right. So that was one of the primary things that Eric contributed on here was bring because and he's been doing he's like the there's there's car, etchings of him in wood designing miniature uh, sorry uh board games from you know the archaeologists are still finding that's how long he's been in, <laughs> he's been doing this yeah. and so he contributed a lot of that whole uh, board game aspect of things. Now, of course, primarily this is a miniature game and that was always the big focus, but we wanted to have that little bit of crossplay, and he br- contributed a lot of that bringing into there with some of the uh, ideas and how we implemented the tactics deck and the, uh, the tactics board and things like that. So we had this big, just amalgamation of, you know, all this come together and eventually the product that, you know, came into existence. Now, of all the uh, of all the units so far that we have available in the game, that you know, not anything that you can't talk about yet. But do, do you have a favorite unit so far of, of what's been released at retail? Let's see. Uh, hmm. You gotta make Maybe sure you're remembering guy. what's released, right? <laughs> I, am, <laughs> yeah, right? I am a Bolton guy, just because I like the mechanics and aesthetics of that army as well. As far as just a mecha- mechanics uh, perspective. My favorite unit is actually probably going to be the uh, the House Bolton Bastards Girls. Oh yeah, yeah. for sure. <laughs> that's that's definitely. I remember when the Kickstarter was going, and and that unit got teased, or, or uh, as one of the stretch goals. That as far as like mechanics and how it looks and plays, um, that's definitely one of my all time favorite units as well. So I could see I could see uh, your uh, love and care in that unit. It looks amazing and it plays awesome as well. Well, I also just like that unit a lot because. You know, it's one of those units that uh, is very polarizing as far as people just looking at them. And I really feel that there's a lot of units in the game, I feel, that look good on paper. And in practicality, you know, you're like, oh, my God, like, how do I deal with this? And then you play them. And it's like, oh, that's how I deal with them. Conversely, <laughs> there's the other units that you look at on paper and go like, OK, well, 
what's the big deal here? And then you go like, oh, okay, this is how they function on the tabletop. Actually, I'm going to change my uh, my vote there. Bastards Girls are tied to me with Ranger Hunters. Ranger Hunters are probably one of my favorite units. Right. So we, we actually... For kind of the same reasons, actually. We actually today had our first tests of Free Folk versus uh, Night's Watch. There was a few units on there that kind of surprised me that, like, on paper... We, we were kind of theory crafting about, and then uh, once we got playing with, really, really different view on it. Um, I don't know what you thought about that, Josh. With the... I, the, the the one that really surprised me was the the Scorpion, uh, builder, the Builder Scorpion crew, um, was something that, you know, when I was looking at it... The, the was, most hated was... unit in existence. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, you know, when... I, I definitely think, you know, there's going to be those situations where it gets mowed down, but I was able to use it to deny, like, a huge chunk of the board, and we were playing um, uh, Night's Watch versus uh, Free Folk today, uh, and it was just, you know, I mean, it was blowing out whole units in a, in a turn, and then the Giants had to avoid it, so it's actually uh, super useful. And, and you can't use your uh, the tokens on it. I don't know. It's one of those things where, like, when you look at it and you look at the stats, it's like, how is this going to even work? But then when you get it on there, I think the the range on it, too. Uh, I know some people sometimes complain about, like, the, the distance in this game. But I think you have to do that to keep it so it's not a gun line. And uh, I don't know. It, I, I felt like it was actually definitely has a place on the battlefield. Immune to condition tokens and panic checks is a really big deal that does not appear on paper. Yeah. I couldn't, I was one of those things where I was like, I don't know how to answer this right now. <laughs> and from low respect to, uh, I'm slightly scared now. I'm definitely thinking about how to deal with it more. Absolutely. I was surprised too. The, um, the other unit that I was really, uh, surprised by was the, um, uh, the free folk. Is it the trappers? Is that what they're called? Yes. The, the guys that are doing the D3 wounds. Yeah. I mean, cause it was just, I had a, I had ghost on that side and it just was like, oh man. So if I move through this zone, there's a very good chance I'll just be dead. <laughs> it's like that's pretty good I, you know i think that's something so cool that you've the way you guys have designed the factions i mean they really just play so differently i'm i'm, I'm pumped before uh you know we won't get into what's coming next but i'm excited to see what comes on the line because I, I just feel like you guys have captured the flavor of each unit and each faction uh so distinctly that was one of the initial like design not hurdles but one of the the notes in the game is because this setting is you know it's basically a bunch of guys and fighting each other in armor so right we knew going in that we had to make every faction as distinct as we could because we were we didn't have the luxury of going, this is going to be the elf army. These are dwarves. <laughs> this is going to be a bunch of skeletons. It's like, no, these are going to be Starks. They're, Eventually um, you can I'm, have skeletons, right? You know, Wink. If it appears in the books, it can appear in the game. Uh, I'm going to get badges made with oh that. Oh, no. Just tap that in, in any convention I go to. <laughs> but so, you know, that was, you know, a, we had to make sure uh, we had our art team that, you know, they wanted they had to grab the aesthetic side of things to make sure each faction visually looked different, but still adhered to the realistic setting of the world that you know they were in. Like we couldn't just have, you know, a bunch of a uh, Starks in giant, you know, wolf gear and pelts and everything because that's not how they appear. <laughs> You know, we so we had to have a they they probably had the hardest task of getting these visually distinct looks and armies um, to make it to make it look interesting. And I feel that they did a fan, they, they did an amazing job 100%. and they continue to do so. Yeah, I, I mean, that's one of the things that uh, Chase and I very early on liked a lot about the game was just the, even the sub sub factions and the sub houses within the major faction, you know, like the uh, House Umber, um, you know, within the Stark faction have their own unique sort of identity within the major faction, which I think is really cool. 
visually, I believe that Tully's might be my favorite unit yeah. uh, out there. I just love the, the the way they incorporate the fish scale armor is still to this day probably one of my favorite visuals that we have in the game. Absolutely. When those guys got spoiled on the Kickstarter as like an optional buy, I was like, done. That's that's happening for sure. <laughs> Take my money. Now, um, obviously, you can't speculate on what may come down the road, but um, just you know, purely from a thought exercise, is there like a dream faction that you would work on, or something that just kind of gets the creative juices flowing in terms of like what they might bring to the table? Oh yeah, but I've already made it. Here's the thing that oh. <laughs> here's here's the thing that people need to realize is that, um, you know, when something's announced or released that didn't just come into existence like a few weeks before we announced it. Of course. Of course. We have releases uh, planned out through 2021, something like that. Next oh, two years wow, worth goodness. of stuff out there. So, you know, cause this stuff like from just a production standpoint, pure production standpoint, it has to be ready about a year in advance. Right, right, That's not right. talking about the, the initial concepts, the art designs, the actual gameplay and all that. That's before this is that's before even that point. We we asked for some uh, user submitted questions to talk about the end and we got a few some emails, two people being like, ask them if he started on the next faction yet. Now that the people <laughs> and we're like, pretty sure they've already thought about that, I hope. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well that's but, interesting. But a year out. Okay. That's At a least. Fun teaser. So we got through through twenty twenty one. All right. <laughs> All right, listeners, start speculating. We want. Let's see. If I <laughs> I go off of memory exactly, I remember there's at least nine factions. Might be more. Might be slightly less. Holy Again, it kind of crap. it kind of all runs together after a while. Again, this is uh, yeah. while Song of Ice and Fire does take up a lot of you know my uh, my work time. It is not the only thing I work on, and we actually do have. Uh, we are expanding our staff more to include, you know, more uh, developers for the game and everything. You actually, if you um, check out some of the Facebook groups, you'll or the uh, the forums, you'll see uh, Fabio Curry is our newest developer that is being brought on, and he's acting as the lead developer for Song. So you'll see him more and more, you know, doing interactions and basically doing things of that nature. Yeah, the the raw amount of content, and keep in mind, everything that we do has to go through a a very stringent approvals process through Dark Sword and George Martin and all of them as well. So again, not all the, this stuff is not all just like, oh, you know, a couple of weeks, you know, whatever. Just, <laughs> let's get this done. Uh one of the the stories I have is like was so certain someone from Dark Sword Ventures that may or may not be the owner of the company and may or may not be named Jim Ludwig, uh spoiled <laughs> last week uh a sculpt that suspiciously looks like Arya Stark and he said might have been Arya Stark and is Arya Stark. Uh, <laughs> Holy cow. So in the books that she is nick you know they they make fun then and john makes fun of her and nicknames her horse face because she's had a very long nose that nose went through approvals like five or six times oh wow because <laughs> just just that making sure it was the exact like way that george wanted it to look it's that's right. like the level that's like the level of detail we're looking at i remember we so all right this is going to be a lot of uh uh, redacted slash can't talk about this. We had this yeah. unit that's coming out some point in the future, and they're really cool. Okay, that's what you need to know. They had this really <laughs> cool weapon. Beep noise over every time you say that. People are like, "What do you say?" <laughs> <laughs> they had a really cool weapon that made them seem really cool and intimidating, and I loved it. They were like probably one of the favorite things that I had um, I had made in some time, and 
we sent them in for approvals and they came back with the feedback and went, yeah, those weapons could not actually exist on the battlefield. Like, but, but they're so cool. (laughs) And we're like, yeah, no, no, we're not, we're not arguing that fact. They're really, really cool. Um, you would get laughed off the battlefield and getting killed if you were (laughs) using that. So can't, can't do it. And so we had to modify, you know, the weapons, which conceptually changed what the unit was to, um, to compensate for that. Hmm. And, you know, we found it, we found initial compromise and everything, but I still just remember the initial like look of those guys and the new one. Now, again, credit to our artists because they came back with something that I went, okay, that's really kick-ass in its own right. Not the initial thing that I liked, but I am I am fully happy with this. But you know that type of thing that comes in, because I um, like I will say also, um, tower shields are something <laughs> that we learned very early on to never ever use because uh, they are not historically accurate in a lot of in most situations. So uh, guys carrying around standard shields, you know, they've got to be used to very quickly block things because that's how shields work. If you have a big bulky shield that's slow, it doesn't really help you do anything. So. You know, that was one of the the initial things that we had to um, when we were going through approvals, because, again, George Martin is a huge historical buff and everything and, you know, knows how this stuff should be. Uh, and again, this is this is his setting. So we have to respect everything that, you know, that we were as I like to say, you know, we're playing in his playground. We have to respect the equipment. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> now, here's a question I had for you. Um, did you have a favorite game mode to play? Because we just played uh, Dance of Dragons for the first time today, and I got to say that was like so far my favorite that I've played, and I, I, we had an awesome time uh, with that one. It's not because I won, Chase. Just see. Oh, I'm still learning oh, my free shots show. fired. <laughs> <laughs> I will say Dance of Dragons of the game modes that are out right now. That one is the my favorite. Before that, probably Clash of Kings, just because I really like the 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 board positioning that that creates. Mm. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And just the combat and chaos in that scenario is pretty sweet. Because mm-hmm. there's just such a lot of counterplay of like, oh, you're going to do this? Okay, well, I'm going to deploy my guy over here to counter that. Oh, you're doing this? Well, I'm going to take this objective, and now everything's just changed up because now I can deploy over here. Yeah, yeah the, the the board completely flips by like turn like two and three, and it's completely different. Uh, so uh, let's just get this one out of the way then. So we had so many people ask the same question that we know you can't answer. And I didn't know if maybe you had a standard response you would just like to give. What or like what do you say or like how do you handle this um you know people just keep asking when's the next faction coming out when is x coming out when is this coming out what what do you what do you say to all these people let's just get this done <laughs> like so my default answer to that one is you'll see there we go um <laughs> but the rea- the reality of it is this is that you know again as i said we have plans for at least the next two plus years and frankly i think the amount of content that we have made is going to it definitely extends beyond that it's just that you have to look at this from the the whole thing of game health if you release everything at once then okay the game's like here's everything and where's your excitement after a while yeah and also that's you know if you go like here's you know two thousand dollars worth of game um that's another problem right so you have to you you have to temper you know your releases and what information you're getting because you don't want something basically something only gets to be new once right and you know like we're the free folk are not even out yet they're out next week and you already have people going 
well, what's the next thing after that? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So if we, if we talked about the thing after that, then it's going to be like, okay, that's cool. What's the thing after that? And then you look like, okay, well, now we've talked to you about the next year's worth of releases and you, okay, now it's old. So. Absolutely. And, but I like, I like that too. Cause I like having like each unit has like a, each unit or release has like a chance to shine a little bit and be like the, you know, sort of the, the hotness for a little bit before the, uh, the next thing comes down the pipe. I will say um, the next major event, let's say release event, that's going to be taking place around March. Oh, uh, yeah! Right. I will say, I will say this. So start saving is, your money, everybody. <laughs> it is not. It is not a faction release. Oh, okay, but it's going to be exciting times for everyone. Sweet. Okay. Now All here's right. the question: How hard be. is it? How hard is it to like not say anything you're not supposed to? Because <laughs> I know you also have your own podcast that you have to talk about this game. But how hard is it to not accidentally go in and say? you know, something that technically isn't out yet. Oh, to not say something. Um, that's actually fairly easy for me because I just have a general disdain of spoilers. Naturally. Okay. Sure. But are you sure. like working with and like play testing and doing things and seeing the miniatures like that are, you know, out for a while ahead, you know, is it just hard sometimes to be like, Oh yeah, that, that isn't out. Like there are times where I will, especially in the, uh, the list podcast that I do, where I'll sit there and go like, okay, well, this is the list we're playing. And then back in my head, I'm going, you know, this would be really more optimized if you were <laughs> using X. I was like, yeah, but that's not out yet, so I can't talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> like, for example, again, I've, I've made no um, hidden information about this, that I'm a, I'm, the neutral faction is my favorite. Uh, just aesthetically, I really like the Boltons and the other neutrals that have not been released yet. And... Um, that play style. I really like that toolbox style. I've got a solution for most things. Like the Night's Watch has a little bit of that as well, but the the neutrals have in their own kind of more low cunning style way. I um and I there's more expanded options coming out. For example, the Bolton Blackguard. We've uh the uh we've talked about them. We've shown them. I really just they they've kind of solidified the list for me of what's you know if if you just have those four units for the Boltons. You know, the Cutthroats, the Bastards Girls, the Flayed Men, and the Blackguard. That really creates a big list diversity. And the fact that, you know, I sit there and I, I always try to make a list of just this is what's available right now. And I will say, like, right now, the neutrals, it's just like, oh, this is limiting. I just want Blackguard plus the other thing that comes in that box. <laughs> and, you know, I'm just like, oh, my God, I just I just want to include this. And then I look at, like, the next wave of neutral stuff and go, like, Oh yeah, and I really, really like this option because it allows me <laughs> to make this list that I can incorporate in there as well. But I can't do that because I'm limited to this pool right here. Now, of course, this all goes out the window because most of my time has been playtesting, so I can just use all this stuff when I want. And, uh. But uh, <laughs> but I sit there and I just I look ahead, even six months from now, at just how expanded the game is going to be versus what it is now. And it it really does just fully like excite me to see just the diversity that's going to happen. Because if you look at right now, even if the Night's Watch and the Free Folk, you have just the starter boxes and maybe one or two unit boxes. But look at the variety and the different lists that you're coming out with just those. And that is not even I'm not gonna throw a percentage out there because then people will extrapolate that information. <laughs> but um that's just the beginning. Like even so look at like the Starks and Lannisters. You know, you can play 
you just going to Lannisters since I know that's someone in here's favorite faction. Um, <laughs> you can sit there and play them super aggressive with you know the mountain. You can play a control list of Tyrion. You can play a counterattack list of Jaime. You mm-hmm. can play a weakened list with you know the best guy in the faction of Tywin, who's one of the best characters in the setting. Um, <laughs> and that's just from one hero box. That's not even I, talking about different unit varieties. That's just one box. Now incorporate in more units and more hero boxes and all of that. And that list just expands even more and more. That's one of my favorite things about the game too, is that I, I love how like just throwing a different commander, even if it was the exact same list, but pl- putting a different commander in there with just the tactics cards and his effect completely changes the makeup of an army. And I think that's such an awesome, I mean, just out of like when we got the Kickstarter, it's like you could build 50 things out of one box. And it was outstanding. That was one of the initial things when we sat down and designed the starter box that I wanted to absolutely make sure was incorporated in there was that you had a varying amount of play styles. If you picked up the starter box and never bought another product again, making sure that you had enough diversity in there to entertain you for, you know, game after game after game. And the biggest way of doing that was just changing around the commander because that's you have Jamie and you have the mountain. You have Rob (laughs) and you have Great John. Just those changes alone drastically, like, again, you can take the same list and this is actually by the way a fun little um thought exercise that i've seen people do is they'll just make an army and then randomly pick a commander for it and just see how differently it plays oh, nice <laughs> so is it generally like a a kind of a more punchy uh commander and then a uh more you know i don't know tactically adept would be the way to put it i'm just thinking of we had the, the free folk review copy and i just played with tormund and uh man just Really, that's like getting in there and like the command cards getting it, the tactics are getting there and like really dealing your damage with the charges and kind of doing this like one, two punch combos. Um, is that kind of the mode that you keep in mind for most sets then? Like you want one that's kind of more direct combat oriented and then one that's maybe more, I don't know, not, I don't want to say nuanced because it makes it sound like the combat mode isn't, but um, you know, the. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Um, it's not, so the important thing is not so much that distinction it's just giving mm-hmm. two alternating Opposite. play styles in the same box so again like in going to the stark side of the starter box you have great john if you like that straightforward i'm just yeah. going to take a bunch of damage to deal damage and then you have rob who's going to be a much more mobility and you know a positioning based one it's just having that dichotomy of having your, mm-hmm. your your different play styles that still incorporate what the faction is about now usually you're going to have a more combat oriented option because these are starter boxes and you are going to have people that are coming in fresh from the hobby. And that is, you know, the, the most, the easiest and direct route for people to get into things. Like you can sit down with someone and it's like, here, you're playing the mountain. Your job is go kill those guys. Okay. That's a much more straightforward <laughs> method of right, playing right. than going, here's Jamie who is, you know, he's all about counterattacking the defense. If now I'm not saying like, you know, this is one, one way is easier to play than the other because they both have their tactical merit. But definitely one of those is a lot easier for someone coming into the game to get into. You'll notice like with the Night's Watch, for example, though there is no direct really combat one. You've got your defensive side of John, who is you're all about healing and sustain. And then you have Jor, who is going to be all about the uh, the vow manipulation. So you don't really have a direct combat option there. Oh, I, we did have another fan question here uh from from matt r uh he asked what is your favorite individual tactic card in the game Ooh, that's a good question um the one that i am happiest to always see is again going back to my neutral deck it's probably going to be wealth and cunning just because i like the 
the auto block and the auto attack. But I will say my favorite card in the game is very easily going to be Ramsey's tactics card of cruel methods. Uh, yeah. Which it's a shame to me because I think that Ramsey is such a criminally underrated commander. I just, everyone like wants to take Roost because they really like the potential control aspects and the NCU commander version of him. Uh, and sure, I, I get that play style. But to me, I just, I like going out and killing stuff and making people afraid of me. And that's, that's <laughs> Ramsey to a T. Makes sense. Yeah, I think people tend to like that zero point. I mean, even myself, like the zero point uh, commander, like NCUs just tend to be favored just for this pure point savings. Uh, that That's something that we found pretty effective. People always like a good deal, and the NCU commanders are a good deal. It's great to see how a Dance of Dragons on some different scenarios. Like if you're going to a tournament, you're going to be playing a few different scenarios. You can't always bank on on having that advantage in some ways by having a uh, commander NCU. Like the the tactics board control isn't necessarily worth giving up the actual physical benefits of having a commander on the on the battlefield. So I will say, because this will be happening fairly soon, uh, at the end of the month, we have our next round, or early next month, end of this month, I don't know the exact timetables, we have our next round of errata and FAQ that will be launching, um, covering, you know, just again, some more core rulebook, you know, wording tweaks, things like that, Night's Watch FAQ. Um, but part of that will be, uh, I guess this is going to be your spoiler for the night. We will have a yet another uh, tournament official game mode coming out. Oh, and oh sweet. So the, the end goal of the different game modes uh, for tournaments is to structure that you want to have a diversity in your list. And that's why it's a two-list format as well. So there are going to be some game modes that are going to favor you having, this is specifically in regards to commanders, favoring uh, to have an NCU commander. Like, for example, Clash of Kings, technically, if you're running an NCU commander, no attachments, you're going to come out with a small advantage there because you're not going to, you're denying your opponent some means of getting victory points. Right. In Dance of Dragons, though, that's flipped. You're going to yeah. actually lose advantage for having an NCU commander. And you know, basically any of the any of the future game modes that come out uh, that are incorporated into the tournament structure are there to encourage a diversity of tactics and list building. So, you know, you're going to need to think ahead of like, okay, this list is going to work for these various modes, but it might suffer for them. And if you want to run a single list format, that's something you're going to take into consideration. But if you're running a dual list format, then Theoretically, you should have lists that are favoring different game modes over the other. Like, okay, this is my Feast for Crows one. This is my Clash of Kings one. This is my Dance for Dragons list. Oh, that this actually ties in uh, so well with this uh, other user-submitted question. This is from uh, Yannick uh, Burr, and he was actually a runner-up in one of our custom scenario contests. And he wanted to know, so, you know, in light of things like Whispering Woods scenario, the, the thematic play, and also these more tournament-organized play scenarios, are there particular things that you find that make for a good or bad scenario? Like if someone's trying to creatively make some for playing at home, are there things you got to be like, hey, listen, I've learned, like, don't put this in your scenario, or like, actually, th this is what makes it a good one? That's a tricky question, because I really don't feel there's a lot of bad decisions you can make in a scenario. Uh, as far as it, I don't feel there's a lot of choices you can make that are so bad you can't properly balance things around them. Mm -hmm. It's most of the failings and the issues I see that come up with um, scenarios in general, whether they be fan made or you know ones released by you know official games or whatnot, is when you don't have a proper balance of the mechanics you're looking at. Mm. And this is kind of hard to hard to explain a little bit as well. Um, I feel that you can make almost anything work. 
as long as you find the right balance for it. Like, say if you wanted to make a um a scenario that's like every round, everyone has a unit that gets immediately destroyed. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's first off. Okay, that that's kind of a problem. Like, that's ex- an extreme. <laughs> the meteor, it's a meteor shower. Take that, like, Slade men. <laughs> like, yeah, Raiders, free folk, let's go. <laughs> okay, even saying like that by making a scenario like that, you are now saying okay even though it's not in the rules, if you're running nothing but like four units of Lademan, you're going to lose. Like, sorry, straight up, you, you lose. <laughs> Turn four, and it's gonna, Exactly. And it's going to naturally go, okay, so by making this decision, you're going to encourage people to do X, or mm-hmm. you're going to discourage people from doing Y. That's really the fundamentals of a lot of scenarios, is what are you trying to accomplish? What feeling are you trying to accomplish? You know, do you want people to... What what actions do you want people to do and not do? And without making those rules, because you don't want to just blow things down to rules, what um what what incentives can you be, you know, what carrots can you dangle on which sticks to make people do that just innately without making it a hardcore rule? That's really the best type of design is it's a guiding thing. You want people to you want to push people in a direction, but not force them. Hmm. Like, again, a true example being Dance of Dragons. That scenario, you are it's more beneficial for you to take a combat commander than a non-combat commander. Now, whether the benefit is that significant is going to depend on the player, their play style, and their list. But you're naturally kind of pushed in that one to go, okay, well, I want someone on the field here because I get a bonus for doing so. Like Clash of Kings, okay, my commander is technically a liability so i would be more uh, behooved to have a non-combat you know commander in this situation so it leads me to create a different type of list whereas mm. there's a rule that said this is what i want to do it's just the natural conclusion that i come to i think that's one of the things i think is interesting about when it comes to tournament play that you kind of have to you know you're if, if you're playing multiple rounds where the ch- the mode is changing uh you know that can have a major impact on on you know your your list uh you know that you brought right so I wonder if one day they'll do uh, like a tournament style where you and your opponent maybe get to like vote on a mode before you start or something like that, or if it's always going to be fixed rounds. I know that's still kind of developing, but that would be kind of an interesting thing to see. So then, yeah, um, uh, Michael, are you going to any other events? I know Adepticon's coming up. I, I, the CMON Expo is in a few months, right? Are, are any of those that you'll be going to? Uh, so my schedule from work is I honestly I kind of don't know where i'm going to be week from week sometimes (laughs) so i just go where people tell me (laughs) that's that's my life (laughs) well that makes sense (laughs) well you get to see you on any more battle reports or anything like that you think um oh yeah definitely a a possibility and whatnot but one of the uh the things there that we like doing is we really um you know it's good to see the the fan community you know going out there and doing stuff because you've got so many great resources and you you guys included you know, to, you know, push things and really branch things out. We want to support that however way we can as well. And of, you know, we, uh, we have plans. That's not something I can really deep dive into as far as, you know, what the specifics are and everything, but, you know, we're fully committed, you know, as you've seen from everyone in the company to, you know, making sure the line is successful for years and years to come and making sure that everyone gets everything they wanted. And then, a, <laughs> you know, a glitter covered unicorn on top of that as well. Woo-hoo! Wait, is that going to be an NCU, the glitter-covered unicorn? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Alternate art. This is going to be a... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, that's a spoiler for Winds of Winter, by the way. That oh. kind of takes a, <laughs> this weird left turn that kind of takes place about halfway through the book. Uh, we got a question from Owen R. Uh, house Bolton, great house or greatest house? Uh, what, what are your thoughts on uh, on House Bolton here? So uh, I want to first give a shout out to Owen there because he is one of our play testers. And oh, I immediately <laughs> knew that when you said that. <laughs> I was like, thanks, Owen. Um, House Bolton, I just, is one of my favorite houses. I, you know, obviously, as we've talked about, I love them in the books. I like their, you know, just their visual representation in the game. But I actually have a, a funny side story about them that I actually deeply hate sharing. But I'm going to <laughs> you guys. Get the inside scoop here. Um, because this just involves a number of people going out of their way to troll me. And <laughs> yeah, that's that's life. Okay. So flashback a couple of years, as you know, we uh as we talked about, I don't have a great grasp of time. Uh Jim Ludwig of Dark Sword Miniatures is visiting George R. R. Martin. And I get a picture sent to me of George R. R. Martin holding something. And I'm like, I don't, what, what is this? And Jim calls me up very excitedly going, Michael, I got you something. I'm like, oh, great. Cause you know, he has that typical voice of just like, he, 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 um, like Jim, what, what is this? And he goes like, zoom in. And so I check out what this is. And what I have acquired here now that actually sits on my, my mantle at home next to my other trophies obviously <laughs> um is a george rr R. martin signed copy of the greatest hits of michael bolton <laughs> <laughs> because jim ludwig finds it uh... incredibly hilarious <laughs> that my model in the game is the alternate art and sculpt of the dreadfort captain and <laughs> since that has come into existence he has never stopped opening and ending every single conversation we have with michael bolton how are you when are you gonna sing for me uh, <laughs> that was three years ago and it's still just as not funny now as it was then but he finds it hilarious and more so now that he got georgian on it and <laughs> that piece of memorabilia exists in the world that's that's the world we live in guys is a signed michael bolton greatest hit signed by george r, r. martin is, is sitting in, in i'm looking at it right now <laughs> that's amazing awesome well you know thank you so much for for coming on the podcast and uh for our listeners uh, where can they they find your content and how can they uh stay plugged into some of this a song of ice and fire goodness that you're pushing out so as far as official releases and news the um the a song of ice and fire website that we have is going to be the best page and along with our official Simon facebook page if you want to hear more of my podcast then i have it a uh, song chat with michael chanel and that's available on podomatic and uh, itunes and whatever places they send it out from there then uh, you know again active on the forums and the facebook and then of course we have on the table gaming who oh. is the, uh, the best song of ice and fire podcast out currently <laughs> whoa what <laughs> that's gonna be an intro bumper Jeez. oh i'm just uh, i'm just throwing out i'm just throwing out that little challenge right there i want people right. to i want that competition to come up and try to dethrone you guys i was, I, I agree we got to get more more voices in here you and, get complacent uh, at the top and everything i want to see some challenges get out there <laughs> Well, we've also got, uh, there's a few other up and coming uh, podcasts. Uh, was it uh, Bradley Dunlop's got uh, Bradley's chat? That's a cool one starting up. So make sure people check out that as well. And uh, yeah, I think, you know, 
I'm like, I think you're really onto something here. It's like, if you love the game, like it doesn't take that much to get a, a microphone and start recording something on your computer. And I think the more voices we have and the more ideas going around, the, the more fun everyone's going to have. And, uh, and you know, then I guess we got to do our typical sign off here. So thanks so much for coming on the podcast. And uh, Michael, I hope you get your miniatures on the table. <laughs> <laughs>